Hello, welcome to my first podcast ever, No Time for Trolls. A little bit about myself, I'm an Australian straddling the political interest worlds of both Australian and American politics. And I've been on Twitter for a while and I'm hoping to branch out here and engage with more listeners, but also um, provide something for my normal listeners to engage with in an easily accessible format. I'm keen to have interviews with people who are willing, but also to just expound on the um, reflections that I have about the political situation we find ourselves in as citizens of the world. So we do all share that and we share the potential existential threat to us as a species from unaddressed climate change and the resultant problems for us as humans, as inhabitants of a biosphere. Um, oh, still working. So please forgive any um, sound quality issues. I hope this improves as time goes on. If there are any glitches, send me your tips and I will have no uh, recriminatory terms like mansplaining for any men or women who want to offer suggestions on how I can best improve this podcast. Uh, the first topic of today, I would like to address the New York Times and how I think they have a pattern that's been established of misrepresenting um, the truth about investigations into the Trump-Russia phenomenon. So we're all very familiar probably um, with the article that they put out just prior to the 2016 election, which said the FBI finds no ties to Russia in relation to the Trump campaign and how this was such a significant error and misrepresentation that it would appear to be purposive. Um, that Harry Reid, the Democrat um, chap at the time, had written letters to people um, and was willing to go on the record to the New York Times about the evidence of a connection between Trump and Russia at that point, or the, the items of concern. So in an article recently published by the New York Times entitled, In Closed Hearing, A Clue About the Heart of Mueller's Russia Inquiry. And there's a sentence from this that I'd like to share with you. The transcript suggests that Manafort claims that he only wanted public data transferred now, I think it's interesting because there's a number of verbs in that sentence, quite a few. So the transcript suggests that Manafort claims. Now, as a person with a linguistic background, I can see that that sentence is too heavily littered with verbs. It's, it stands out. Um, and that's not just cautiousness. I think that's indicative of um, a desire to perhaps muddy the waters in a very subtle way. So ostensibly, they're they're informing the public on developments about the inquiry but at the same time I think they're sowing a seed for people to um, to buy Manafort's explanation so instead of just saying Manafort claims this which people could then go oh well, Manafort he's a convicted felon we won't believe what he says they've muddied the waters by putting in this additional verb an object the transcript suggests that Manafort claimed um, That's, that's my point about that. Um, Marcy Wheeler, 
who uh, is on Twitter under the handle um, Empty Wheel, wrote a very comprehensive article about um, what can actually be, be read into uh, court documents from the hearings about Manafort. And she notes that um, it's not public data at all, um, that there was the judge uh, questions Manafort's lawyers who were trying to claim that the data Manafort handed over to former GRU Russian intelligence agent Konstantin Kilmanik was, um, was public data. The judge questioned, but then why did the pollster make so much money? Um, the pollster's name was Tony Fabrizio and Marcy Wheeler notes that when Manafort and Kilmanick met at the Havana Club on August the 2nd of 2016, there were clues that this was a clandestine meeting. They came and left separately and um, that there are emails that confirm that Manafort shared this data with Kilmanick and it's not just something that Mueller knows about because of Rick Gates' testimony and cooperation with the, with the special counsel investigation. Um, and that Kilmanick, who had ties to GRU, the Russian intelligence agency, and GRU had also hacked Hillary's analytics. So Konstantin Kilmanick had access to both uh, highly sensitive polling data gathered by pollster Tony Fabrizio, but also had Hillary's polling data as well from the hacked uh, Hillary Clinton analytics. So, um, Another line from the New York Times article says, most of the data was public, but some of it was developed by a private polling firm. Um, and when they make this claim, they haven't packed in a lot of verbs to induce doubt around that point. They're really pushing for the audience to accept Manafort's point that the um, data was public and that he didn't share anything of value with a known former Russian intelligence operative. Why would the New York Times be doing this? I feel like it's easier for me to impugn the credibility and the intentions of the New York Times as an Australian. Uh, as an Amer if I was American in America, it might be more frowned upon. I might experience more social pressure to not attack such a um, renowned institution as the New York Times. But from, from where I stand, I'm happy to call out the New York Times for essentially assisting in what has been a very comprehensive sabotage of American democracy. And there's clearly a lot of vested interests uh, around the idea of maintaining this um, and perpetuating this theft of democracy. And I can see the victims of this theft very clearly when I look at the tragedy of the children separated from their parents. So it's not a victimless crime to um, pervert an election. It means putting someone unethical in power who owes the people who put him in power a favour. And if there's a collection of people who put Donald Trump in power, if there's uh, an unholy um, cohort of people that include Kremlin agents, Putin himself, um, the gun lobby, uh, possibly Saudi Arabian royalty and Israeli psyops firms, then Donald Trump is indebted to a lot of people and his um, policies are not dictated by what might best serve American interests. They're dictated by who he owes a favour to for installing him in his seat of power without 
the full-fledged democratic support of the American people. Um, the system was gamed. Donald Trump benefited from that and Donald Trump owes the people who made that happen for him and gave him that power. So hence he's not using the power for good. And this is a characteristic of totalitarian regimes that when they have sufficiently sabotaged the mechanisms that typically hold democratic governments accountable, they are untethered from the morality of the public. So people collectively can lose their minds, but typically a democracy is a gamble on the public being able to reject tyranny and reject outcomes that are inhumane for even minority groups within a population. To say, no, that's not cool to persecute people or to deal out unjust outcomes like that. That is why the idea of democracy exists to prevent um, tyrannical, self-serving people from um, keeping themselves in power by um, quid pro quo arrangements with their supporters uh, because that gives an unfair deal to people who aren't their supporters and it's not acceptable. Um, I once saw video footage of two monkeys who were part of a experiment by psychologists, I guess presumably animal behavior psychologists, and they were in adjacent cages. One monkey was being given slices of cucumber and the other monkey was being given uh, small pieces of grape, uh, which contains more sugar. And the cucumber eating monkey seemed fine with his snack until he noticed, until it registered with him that the monkey in the adjacent cage was being fed sugary, delicious grapes, at which point he chucked a fit and he threw the pieces of cucumber out of his cage and he began to shake the bars. And you could see the emotional torment that this injustice, this disparity of snack delivery was causing to this monkey. And at that point, I decided to be more empathetic towards small children, that they're clearly reacting from a very primitive, um, animalistic brain um, circuitry to protest against perceived injustice that this is a strong instinct that's not even restricted to humans, but that also is experienced by our close relatives, chimpanzees or monkeys. Um, so my point here is that human nature has a strong impetus towards avoiding injustice. And that's what democracy is supposed to protect us from, unjust leaders. And in the case of the children who have been taken en masse by their parents, and the Trump administration has admitted that um, they did not track these separations, they do not know which child belonged to which parent, who, who they took children from. So, so there is no path, for straightforward path, for reuniting these families, even if they were to repent of the inhumanity of their actions in ripping small medium children away from their caregivers. Um, and children without caregivers are much less protected. And if we've learned anything from history, it's that children in orphanages, institutionalized children, um, subject to a much higher rate of predation and sexual assault and physical abuse by people who do not have established care bonds with those children. Um, so there are definitely people of good intent out there, but institutionalizing children causes them to be exposed to significant harm, potential harm. And for that reason, 
that's just one extra count against the inhumanity of the people who organized this and proposed it as a specific policy. And the Trump administration denied it's a policy, but there's been leaked memos. It was evident that they sought to use this as a deterrent by specifically desiring to cause harm to children in the hope that the word would get out and future migrants would not even approach America for to seek their legally protected right to seek asylum, which is legal. America is a signatory to the United States Convention on Refugees from 1953. And that's a sneaky way to try and get out of your responsibilities as a signatory to a convention. It's not democratic and it's, I can't specifically say if it's illegal, but it's definitely incredibly unethical and immoral. And if you can imagine, if you can extrapolate from hearing a small section of tape of children who'd lost their parents crying for their mummy's mummy, puppy uh, on audio as the guards disregarded them, um, if you heard the news that children, siblings were discouraged from even hugging each other for comfort in the detention centres they were placed in by um, the Trump administration officials. So I'm very concerned about what's happening in America and I'm sure many people are and particularly parents who can relate to the idea of the incredible grief and loss that they would experience as parents but also to the incredible trauma that would be suffered by small children who would have their pair bonds disrupted. And for people working in allied health professions, they would know also that this would have a stunting effect on neuronal growth for small children. They would be less able to form trusting relationships. Their brain development would be impaired by such a significantly emotionally traumatic event. Um, that not being cuddled or cared for by someone in a close relationship with them um, would stunt probably their physical, but definitely their emotional and intellectual growth. And that it would be difficult to ever restore what was taken from them by the actions of the Trump administration and specifically his enablers, such as Kirsten Nielsen and John Kelly and the others who made this happen. I believe US attorney John Bash was one of the people who authored the zero tolerance policy. His wife, Dana Bash, um, was a clerk for uh, Brett Kavanaugh and sat in the Kavanaugh hearings making white power uh, symbols as a presumed taunt to people in the audience who could see her and who reported on her gestures and took screenshots of what she was doing only to be dismissed as fearmongers by others who were like why would this woman with a legal background in a respectable position be making white power symbols and the answer is that she could that everyone is being taunted by the Trump administration who have illicitly gained power and are now illicitly keeping power by their varied and multifaceted efforts to obstruct justice, sometimes in plain sight and sometimes covertly. So as you could see from Matthew Whitaker's contemptuous and taunting approach to those Democrats who were questioning him at the hearing yesterday, and he would respond to questions by saying, Mr. Chairman, I see your five minutes is up. And there were gasps and there was laughter at the audacity of this. But he was shredding norms. And Donald Trump was very pleased with his Matthew Whitaker's performance, apparently. And it should be obvious to us why this is the case. Because Donald Trump gravitates towards 
systems that are less enforced. David Farenholt, the wonderful journalist, um, once suggested in a podcast I listened to that Trump gravitates towards honor systems. So a system maybe of charitable donation where you can get recognition for having made a donation, but they might not require formal evidence of your donation. And so there is Trump claiming that he's made a donation and basking in the attention and the benefits of his claim. But it takes years to pass and people being motivated to dig into this to find out that actually Donald Trump has not made any of these donations. He's just posed for the photographs. He's claimed credit. He hasn't delivered. He gravitates towards any areas where people don't check up on what has actually transpired. And he takes advantage of the shortcuts that we take in assuming people's good nature and um, certain pro-social attributes such as sticking to your word and telling the truth occasionally. So Donald Trump, by evading those social norms that people will just assume uh, a public figure adheres to, such as telling the truth, he sidesteps those norms and makes a profit from being more corrupt than people believe he could possibly be. So I hope that was some good material for a first podcast and that somebody gets something out of listening to this. And uh, if you have any feedback or suggestions for improvement for me, um, as a novice, as an amateur, I so welcome your feedback and response. Thank you. Bye-bye.